We want to belong to each other. We want to belong to a higher purpose, to community. We want our work, our lives to mean something. It's not enough to separate eight hours of work and then you leave it and then you have, what, four hours of life until you go to sleep and do it again? We want it integrated. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you will hear conversations that will generate one aha moment after another. Every week, I'm talking to thought leaders around the world who are knee-deep in solving some of the world's most vexing problems, and they think the future is still bright. They can see a future of possibilities that we can't see yet. We need to know what they know. We need to see how they navigate around obstacles and how we can use those same strategies in our life. And we will also realize a better future for ourselves and the world around us. So my name is Dr. Linda Ulrich. I'm founder of Ever Widening Circles, now thegoodnessexchange.com. This was a project that started in 2014 to demonstrate that it is still an amazing world. And all along the way, since 2013, I've been talking to these folks that have insight and innovation that can change the future, and yet their insights and projects are going uncelebrated. And in October of 2020, I decided to start recording these conversations and sharing them with the world. So today we're gonna talk to an amazing person that I know is going to really open up doors and windows for you. We are gonna speak with Genevieve Paturo, who was following a really traditional executive business path in life. And because of one moment in her life that she paid close attention to, everything shifted. She's going to share this story with you. And many of her insights are going to help us find purpose-driven lives for ourselves. Because this is where the sweet spot is. You may have heard of the our times called the Great Reset or the Great Resignation. I'm noticing that people are questioning whether they're on a path to find what they're uniquely built to contribute. And Genevieve is one of those people who can share what that path looks like. It's a journey. And we're going to take that journey apart. And I hope that through the whole entire interview, you see your own life and the future of possibility laid out before you in a whole new way. So welcome, Genevieve. Dr. Linda. Great. So, um, but we're going to get started here, but there's no better way to start. I, I could do a lengthy introduction, but you have so many accolades now from your purpose-driven portion of your life that I don't even know where to begin. How about you just share the story with us of how we came to chat? No, I'd love to. I'd love to. You know, I would never have thought I'd be here chatting with you or telling the story that I'm so excited to share with you. I was following a get, a get a job after college traditional path. That to me was success. Climbing the corporate ladder was what I thought was the epitome of status and would make my family proud. And that's what my friends were doing. We're all looking for jobs, you know, thinking about what we wanted our career to be. Never really thinking about creating it as part of an integrated life, just a job, you know, job separated from your life. Mm -hmm. And so there it was working in New York City, always wanted to work in the entertainment business. So I got a job in TV syndication and I was climbing that ladder and I wanted to be VP creative services and get involved in all the promotions and the fun stuff that TV had to offer. And I was doing that. And, you know, I was a workaholic, you know, as so many people looking for success were and are, and I was single and, you know, I felt like, okay, uh, maybe I'm Mary Richards on Mary Tyler Moore show. You know, I, I loved watching her and I loved that. And, and I followed that path. 
And one day alone, 12 years in now of this crazy life, which I, which I enjoyed, I heard a voice in me ask me, sort of a whisper, if this is the next 30 years of your life, is this enough? I'd never heard a voice come from here in such a peaceful, clear way. I was used to this. I still am. We all are, right? You're used to the chatter in your head. And this was so different. And it stopped me cold because, you know, I looked around and I thought, where did that come from? It was that eerie. And of course, I knew where it came from. And I sat and I said, why? Why am I listening? What, what is this voice? And I said, I wonder if it's been trying before, if it tried to come out and I never paid attention. But because this is I'm so quiet and still sitting here today, I heard it. And, you know, it's that powerful that it made me say to myself within seconds, I think something's missing. I felt the emptiness. I felt everything that that voice was nudging me to feel. And it really shocked me. It really did because I I was so busy. We all are so busy. Sometimes we don't even feel. So I felt in that moment missing something. I felt a hole. Mm -hmm. And I thought there must have been something to that family concept that my parents, my father came from Italy. My mom was Italian too. They raised four of us. I was the firstborn. And it was all about family. And I know that they expected me to get married and have children, but that wasn't the route I took. So here I am sitting here thinking, I think I missed the boat. I I missed some part of this anyway. And the children part I missed. Mm -hmm. So I started reading in shelters, emergency shelters in the city. And soon there was a chance meeting and the second aha moment that changed everything. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to pause right here because we want, okay. So that, that transition is so huge, but there's just a few things I want to get clarity in my own mind about that first aha moment that you had. So I talk a lot to people also about mental chatter Mm -hmm. and how we have to tame that beast. And uh, it's, it can be overwhelmingly positive too. I have tons of positive mental chatter yeah, about, yeah. Uh, opportunity, but I, that it doesn't come automatically. Most of my mental chatter for years and years was really negative and really about fear and anger and all kinds of stuff that we all struggle with, especially in these times. Okay. What do you think set up the circumstances? Because, you know, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> and I think what's happening in our society right now is I also talk to people about listening to that nagging feeling. If you've got a nagging feeling that you're not on some path that's going to lead you to the life that makes you feel like you're soaring, then you got to get like a reality check. But what were the circumstances for you, you think, that made you listen to that voice? And we're doing a recording here, both video and audio, so people couldn't see where you were pointing. But I'm assuming you were pointing to your heart. You listened to your heart. Yes, the heart voice. I call it my heart voice. Yes, I I was pointing there. Okay, great. So tell us about what you think. Maybe you don't know. Maybe it was just serendipity 100%. And I think that there's a role for that in our lives too. But can you think of the circumstances that might generate those kind of moments where we where we sit up and take notice of, of the good mental chatter? I think in, in silence, we hear it. And I don't think I had a lot of silence in my life. And, you know, I brought that on myself. And I've learned in the last 20 two years, how important it is to sit in silence. You know, I meditate, met a great guy along the way, taught me how to meditate. And, you know, now it's coming into the mainstream. It's in silence. When we hear our true selves, people call it a higher self. I call it a heart voice. It's the same thing. It's really deepest 
part of our soul and it has so many answers and for some reason are we listening we listen to our head all the time and more and more i think people are teaching children which is where it starts to listen to those those nudges and listen to what you were mentioning before things that we just ignore because it's not what everybody would think would be the right thing and we've been so consumed with how it looks and what everyone expects Certainly when you you get on a path and you're doing well, people are shocked if you say, I'm considering dumping it all. And that's a fear, too, that we have when we do finally listen to that nudge. What's everyone going to think? And am I crazy? So I just think it was in stillness for some reason that I heard it. And sometimes I wonder if it was trying to to talk to me before then. And, And this was even though it was a whisper, it was loud compared to the other times that I pushed it down because it was just, I was just too busy. So maybe that's what, where the, this recipe of the pandemic in our lives fits Mm -hmm. in here is the pandemic caused us all to pause. Exactly. You know, we just got off those, those constant treadmills of the dreams we were chasing very often somebody else's dreams and all this stuff. right? Right. So that's why there's this great resignation, the great reset and where the pandemic fits in. It made our lives able to be quieter. Yes. And I think while that's good, it's it frightened us. It frightened so many of us because you don't have to really come to terms with the decisions you've made when you're still on that treadmill. You just keep going. And this forced us to face ourselves. And those voices were louder than ever saying, "Okay, now what are you going to do? That's very, very frightening. Some people can make a change because they want to. Some people were forced to make a change and didn't want to or didn't know how to. And I can understand how scary it was. I was scared and I wasn't in a pandemic when I heard this voice and considered just turning around and changing course completely. So I know how frightened and I can imagine in this situation how much more frightened it is for people. Mm, okay. So I'm just going to own something right now. People are probably seeing me who are watching this video, <laughs> looking down and writing furiously because I'm keeping track of these moments when you're sharing something that's like a real nugget of practical advice for us. So if people watching the video see me looking down, I'm going to keep these kind of insights in the show notes so folks can go back and get Genevieve's practical insights just really concisely. And the other thing I wanted to share was my background. I, <laughs> this is very relevant to me. Your, our conversation today, I'm actually sitting on the family farm in Illinois where I grew up. And this is a pond that my dad built. And one people know this is not a fake background. <laughs> Genevieve so kindly allowed us to start about 15 minutes later this morning because I just had to get out here and and speak to her from this this beautiful spot. And I bring that up in that, you know, we have people around us who are very often living purpose-driven lives in ways that during the pandemic, I think we noticed them more. We they seem to be able to navigate it with a little bit more grace than others. Were there were there mentor like had you seen this in others, but never recognized it? Was there, were there any practical, you got any practical advice? I know you told me you were in a shelter. Was that part of this moment of aha? What, what kind of conditions like that mentors, places that you put yourself in that were new? What kind of, where does that fit into this first chapter? So the question that I heard from my heart is your life, is this enough? That was the first eye-opening moment. And 
So when I realized that there was something missing and that really I wasn't working for anything but money and to help other people make money and, you know, just for absolutely no reason that I could say was worthwhile for me. I said, how can I bring children into my life? And that's when I started remembering some of the local news talking about children who were being hurt by those in their care, caring for them. And the police and social workers would go in and remove these children and bring them to an emergency shelter for safety. And those stories were, were awful, just awful. We all see them. We all read about them in our local news. And I called the police and said, where do you bring these children? And I called the shelters and I asked them if I could come and read to children at night. And this was pre 9-11 in New York City. So the, they were so lovely and said, sure, you know, you sound like a nice person. Come on in. And I went in at night with some storybooks and I started reading to children. And I never felt more grounded than sitting on the floor of the shelter because there weren't any tables or, or chairs that were that I could sit on. And the chairs were small for children. And I sat on the floor in my in my pantsuit and they brought those little children in. And when I saw those faces, I could tell that there was trauma and fear in their lives. And of course, I wasn't given any information. And I read silently week after week, the stories that I had brought and they just, they watched me, they looked at me, they listened, but there wasn't a lot of, a lot of peace in their lives. And I know I could see they were looking around because this was like a processing place where they, they'd be leaving after the, they got the information they needed from these children and going on, hopefully to a better, safer place to live. But one night I followed where they were taking these children to sleep at night. I don't know, another prompting, another nudging to get up and follow instead of make a left to go out the door like usual. I made a right and followed the group of kids with their staff. And when I peered into that room, equally bare, a couple of futons, Two or three children helped up together and in their clothes, lights out, sleep time. And it broke my heart because I saw in my memory, my mom at my bedside, my sister's bedside, my brothers, what a bedtime she gave us and never had never thought about it. I was now 38 years old and I'm looking back at when I was, you know, six, seven, eight. I remembered the love and the laughter and the, you know, the, the singing and stories and of course, pajamas. And these children were sleeping, trying to sleep in their clothes, which were tight and soiled. And so as the staff were, were you know, escorting me, sort of pushing me, because I think I was just paralyzed watching this scene, I asked the staff if I could bring pajamas next week. And they thought that was a lovely idea, and I did. And as I handed them out after story time, one little girl was so afraid of me, and she just kept saying, no, 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 no. And I kept trying to give them to her. She wouldn't take them, but she wanted to watch me give them to the rest of the children. So a little while later, she was still standing there. I was finishing up and I went back over to her and I tried one more time. I said, honey, don't you want your pajamas? They're pink and they're matching your shirt and I know they'll fit you and you'll sleep so comfy. And she looked at me and she asked me, what are pajamas? What are these? And Dr. Linda, that was the beginning of nothing being the same again. I became obsessed and that's when my world you know, flipped and I flipped with it. Yeah, so it's pretty easy to see. I'm pretty emotional here. This is who we are, Genevieve. I say that in my TEDx talk, exposing the conspiracy of goodness. This story you just told is who we are. Most of us, by far the vast majority of us. I agree. I'm nodding my head for those who can't see. I agree 100%. This is us. This is who we are. For anyone who is, you know, unmoved by that story. Okay, so... Maybe it's not the, the chapter in your life where that story would move you, but most of us would listen to a story like that and feel it in our gut that we have 
something in us to contribute exactly like you described. Not the exact circumstances, maybe nothing to do with that whole genre of giving, but there is something that every single human being is uniquely built to contribute. I'm certain of it. My life as my 30 years as a professional, I made a point of finding something to celebrate in every human being. And the the people I couldn't find anything to celebrate with, with were rare. So this is why I wanted you on the podcast, because this is chapter one, going from being the person, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what I hear you saying is that you went from the person who was leading a good life. You weren't unsatisfied with your life, but a lot of the way it went was kind of decided by society. You went along and you did what we are told is the path to be on. And then you listened to that nagging voice one day and followed that. You just one foot in front of the other. It doesn't sound like there was very much premeditation there. It was just, okay. So this is what, what we all have the ability to do is to listen to that nagging voice that's a window into another place for us to find purpose and meaning and find why we matter to others. Because that's what your story, that's what about your story made me cry there is that God, what if you hadn't shown up on the scene? I mean, you have changed the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of children. So let's go on to chapter two, because what Genevieve has just described to us is how she came to this different life that went on for years. So talk to us about chapter two. Well, after that moment, I was obsessed. I was heartbroken. I couldn't stop thinking about that little girl and and how many of those little girls and boys are there, which, of course, I learned there, there are tens of thousands, if not millions of children who would could have asked me the same question, who didn't ever have a pair of pajamas and would have asked me, what are pajamas? And I just brought pajamas to every shelter I could. I hid them from bosses. I brought them to work in suitcases and said I was going out of town. I left early to go to get a sale and I came in late and, you know, I just took advantage of my job, which was very odd for me and for my bosses and my colleagues because I was there early and I was there late. So, but I can't find another word other than obsessed. I just couldn't say no. And of course, one shelter staffer would tell her friend who worked at another shelter and I would get calls on those big cell phones that we weren't allowed to have in the office. And of course, I would try to hide and talk and say, yes, I'll be there. I can get them. And I write it in my book and I'm very honest about it. Um, you know, I, my job was in jeopardy. I almost got fired. I had to quit and take on side jobs to just pay my mortgage. I met a great guy in the middle of this or at the beginning of this. And I practiced, what do you say to someone? Because I hadn't told anyone what I was doing because I didn't know what it was and how crazy does it sound? And when I practiced it in my head, I'm thinking of leaving my corporate job and I'm going to give children in shelters pajamas and I'm going to read to them at night. Okay, even to me, that sounded ridiculous. Okay, let's pause there because what you just described in the last 30 seconds is something that's very, very common to most of the thought leaders I've ever spoken to is there's this transitional moment where if you speak what is making your heart sore and what you're you think people will think you're crazy i have the same story i was fixing teeth with computers in 2003 by any measure my husband is also a dentist we had this giant practice in a beautiful corner of vermont and then i said you know what I'm going to change the negative dialogue about our times in the whole world. I'm going to start a website that proves it's still an amazing world. Do you know how crazy that sounded? I know. 
So I want to, I don't want to skip over this stage for people who are also hearing that nagging voice, that they're not quite on the path to what they're uniquely built to contribute. There is this transitional moment, right, Genevieve, where you are doing stuff. You're, you're doing it. You're doing it. You, you haven't, you're not thinking about it. You're doing it. And you are afraid to embrace it because you think everyone around you will think you're crazy. Yes. 100%. I don't, uh, you know, I mean, my brain and my heart were at odds. And I tell people now, if you keep following your heart, you keep following your heart, your brain is still saying, are you crazy? You have a mortgage. Did you tell anyone? Wait till you tell people. What, what are you doing? But if you keep doing it and you keep focusing and you keep listening to your heart, one day there's a switch and your brain says, oh, well, I guess she's going to do it. So I'm smart. Let me help her. And it, it helps you. It's just, it's just this unbelievable swap of your head and your heart being at odds. And then your head saying, like, sort of, I give up. Okay, let's do this. I can help. Might as well help. And I don't know how to explain it, but you did a really good job of trying to explain that it is that focus, that trust that, you know, that we all have and we're so afraid of it. And, and it's that period where you just have to, uh, I, we have an amazing thought leader that I interviewed a few podcasts ago. I would highly recommend people listen to that one named Damian Mander, who has discovered that single mothers make the best game wardens in Africa. Wow. Oh, he's Jane Goodall is on his board. He's got the arguably the best idea in conservation in 100 years. And he talks about that moment. He was a counterinsurgency sniper in the Iraq war who, who has become one of the people advocating for women and children and and endangered wildlife. I mean, it's wow. such a, a shift. And, and he, too, describes a moment where all his his colleagues life in the military in this very rugged, tough world were thinking this guy has lost his marbles. <laughs> now he's over here fighting for women, single mothers, and how they can save wildlife. What? Okay, so this is a this is a good moment for us to take a break. I'm going to take a break here, and then we're going to get on to what this pajama project, uh, the pajama program, because I want people to be able to really dive into that. And I keep calling it the pajama project for some reason. Mm -hmm. Pajama program looked like because you took this to extraordinary places. And, and, and then we're going to go on to chapter three, which is where you are now. So let's take a break now and then we'll come back. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles and the podcast you're listening to now, the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And I have a question and an answer for you. Have you been hoping the world is actually a lot better than what you see on the news and social media? Well, it is. In fact, it's radically better. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. But on December 1st, 2021, all that changes with the launch of the Goodness Exchange, a digital landscape where you will see that the world is full of goodness and progress, and we will introduce you to the people making it that way. Bottom line, someone is solving every vexing problem in the world, large and small. And the Goodness Exchange is where people are coming together to amplify a future that includes all that. No one with good intention and good ideas need feel alone again. Here's what you'll find at the Goodness Exchange. There will be articles about the most amazing things going on in the world that are going uncelebrated. There'll be interviews and events that will send your mind and heart soaring again. And a social media platform dedicated to a culture of kindness 
insight, and celebration, a way of um, amplifying a brighter future for us all. And that social media platform is a place where organizations doing good in the world will not have to hold their nose anymore. It can be a trustworthy, respectable place for organizations to host their groups and gatherings and connect with each other. A network of positive networks, if you will. The Goodness Exchange will be a place to find mini courses and masterclasses for personal and professional development, and eventually there'll be a jobs board, and we have a children's website already all teed up. The thread running through it all is that goodness um, and progress is everywhere, and we will help people cultivate what they are uniquely built to contribute to this future for us all. Now, imagine a website with no ads, no games, and no agenda, just a simple and powerful vision of combining our collective strengths to create a future we can all celebrate. The Goodness Exchange will open a new era for us all as individuals, because you're going to find stuff that make your life better instantaneously, and as a collective, because we all want a better future for our children. Who knows what's possible if there was a place on the internet that brought out our best impulses and our collective genius. Join us after December 1st at the Goodness Exchange and start living with less fear, more joy as an individual and as a collective future for humanity. Thanks. Now we're back to the interview. So we're back. Okay, so are we ready? Anything you want me to really cover going forward? I think this is going to be beautiful. You've already made me cry and get goosebumps. Sorry, Linda. (laughs) No, it's good. This is this is real. This is what people want. They don't want us polished, Genevieve. They can connect to us. If our journey could be theirs, and I have the exact same moment like you're describing the whole thing. And we got to share this with the world because we got to make it okay for people to A, listen to the voice, and B, put one foot in front of the other when everybody thinks they're crazy. Right. Okay. All right. So, okay, we're back. So Genevieve has described a wonderful uh, professional life uh, path that is very much within the, the norm. And then a stage where she had an aha moment. And of course, that's what one of the things that we talk about a lot um, as, as providing people through the goodness exchange that we run is that we're exchanging stories like, like Genevieve's so that people can meet others and get the kind of personal empowerment and support they need to make these moments of putting one foot in front of the other easier. So Genevieve, take it, take us, keep going, keep going. Tell us how this felt all thing important because we really need to know about what this pajama program ended up like. Oh my gosh. Sure. sure. Well, you know, I, I was obsessed. I was delivering these pajamas and bringing them and feeling like you know, I didn't want to ever do anything else. And it was, you know, even hard for me to finish at the end of the day. I wanted to keep going. So I knew that, you know, I'd wake up tomorrow and feel the same way. And I was afraid to tell anyone for fear that they would say I was crazy. And I wouldn't really have an answer. Why are you doing this? And I I did have a story and I put it in my book about a so-called a friend who really tore me down. And it really, it really hurt me. And, And I teach so many lessons about you need your cheerleaders first. You need to confide in those people and find the ones who are going to support you because it is often thought in by people you why would you ever switch change you know take a chance so 
I didn't tell many people, but when I realized, just, I'm just interrupt so people can write it down. We're going to put it in the show notes. But tell we've mentioned the book twice and never told anybody this the the name of the book. Oh, Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas. Yeah, okay. there's a subtitle about life lessons I put in there. It's heart of the matter lessons for what happens when you listen to your heart voice and how to find your purpose and live a purposeful life and lead that way. So I finally started to to tell a few people. And not my bosses at first, but people, when I told the story about the little girl, it was almost like she was speaking to them directly and they felt something, maybe because it's a simple thing, you know, help me with a pair of pajamas, maybe because it was from a little girl and, and it was just so startling to think that there were children who didn't know what pajamas were, but whatever it was, I felt like I was just telling the story, but that little girl was coming through me and people wanted to help. And I was so surprised at how many people immediately wanted to help. And of course I was thrilled, but it grew in such an organic way that when I finally started to tell people, people wanted to help in different towns. They knew a friend in the next city and people just said, oh, can I do that here? What do I do? And of course, I finally had to tell my bosses, now I am not a saver. So I have so many reasons why I shouldn't have done this. And so many clearly reasons why I got into trouble, which again is, is honestly written in my, in my book. But something kept saying, just follow the breadcrumbs, just keep going, keep going. And, you know, of course, my head was saying, you're being irresponsible, but I was doing it and it grew organically so much that now we just, pajama program just celebrated 20 years officially. I say 22 because before we got our 501c3, before I even knew what that was, we've now delivered more than 7 million new pajamas and new books to children across the U.S. And we have 63 chapters around the United States. So you know, that 501c3, you know, I was, I was just doing this in my, in my town and someone from a national magazine asked me if they could write a little story. And I said, sure, a tiny story. I mean, I'm telling you a paragraph. So many thousands of people responded and sent to my little apartment, thousands of packages of pajamas and books and notes and hash. I was newly married and my husband and I talk about crying. We didn't know what was in all these boxes that were just arriving day after day. We couldn't even see each other in this little apartment. And we started opening and we realized that the subscriptions arrived at the doors before the newsstand. So I wasn't prepared for anything for another couple of weeks. And this was the onslaught of, you know, of help. And one letter said, came from a company, if you'll send us your 501c3, we'd like to give you a grant. And I looked at my new husband. And I said, what is this thing here? 501c3. I didn't even know what it was. And in that moment, I said, this is not a choice. This is a responsibility. And this is mine and I'm taking it on. And I had to, you know, I had to do all that, which is another, you know, journey to, to form a nonprofit and, and learn what it means, but there was no going back. There was no going back. I, I felt um, more empowered than ever. I didn't feel alone anymore. I I knew there was something to this that was more than just me feeling sorry for this little girl. It was deeper. It was okay, deeper. So. I've learned in 20 years how deep it goes. So right here, we need to hear what you're saying about how much and how many people wanted to help. It was this unbelievable. We are. This is who we are. We are not what we see on the social media and the evening news. 
This sounds to be extraordinary in in some ways from just a serendipity. One thing led to another. And very often that's what has to happen to get good things flying. But to me, you just tapped into what who we are and, and why we've got to stop looking for at social media and the news for information about who we are, because you just described who we actually are. I agree with you. I agree with you. When we when we get down to it, we're one person and another person. And and I say one of my favorite uh, realizations I write about it in my book is, and I used to also subscribe to the philosophy. One look at what one person can do. Oh my goodness, one person can change the world. But you know what? It's not one person. It's not one person that changes things. It's not the power of one that we're always hearing. It's the power of one another that moves mountains and moves people. And we can move each other with our our story, with heartfelt conversation, with looking at each other in the eyes. And that's another thing about the pandemic. We had to look at each other in the eyes. How many times in the past did we just listen, not look, you know, just glance maybe at a face, maybe even watch our lips moving to hear better. But we had to look each other in the eyes and that changes things. Okay. I think you're absolutely right. There was something about the masks that could have been positive. Everyone focused on the negative of the mask. But, you know, since I'm I'm just a naturally, it just makes me feel good to, to lift other people up. That's what I do. Man, I had to use my eyes. People had to see me smiling, yes. see that my eyes were smiling, to see that my eyes were sparkling when they were saying things, that I was looking at them with sparkling eyes. It, we had to use our eyes and you had yes. to look somebody in the eye. We didn't care about how white people's teeth were. you're right right. and it even helped us hear better we could sort of see in their eyes what their you know what their intonation was and there's something working that's invisible there's an invisible force out there in the universe i've met it many times and i think that's one of them i i think you've stumbled onto part of our conversation here a very major insight that i will share over and over and over again thank you for that you now you've given me officially goosebumps five times because oh. <laughs> this is key that is something that we listened better when we weren't assessing what do they look like what what how is their makeup on right is there are their teeth white enough are you know all the things you're right. You cared so about right. before the pandemic. I have so many experiences in my dental practice where things were going very wrong in people's mouths right when they had a son getting married or something. And the masks kind of saved everybody because because as, they could have something terrible going wrong dentally and nobody cared because right. they walked down the aisle with their son with their only their gleaming eyes. Right. Somehow we all were equal. Yeah. Oh, it was the great equalizer. I totally agree. Okay. See, this huge project erupted and harnessed the goodwill in others. And it expanded all over the place. 63 chapters all over the United States. Does it go yes. go past the U.S. borders? Is it in Canada? No, it, in some instances, we can and we have enough to share when we get a request outside the U.S., but for the most part, our our work is done in the U.S. Before we move on to the next chapter, and we might have to have interview number two to really yeah. do justice to that. I'm already feeling that. Tell us how people, and so it's still an up and running thing and people can engage with that. 
Oh, yes, it is. It's pajamaprogram.org. And a couple oh. of years ago, because I've been speaking about it for all these 20 some years, I went to our board of directors and I said, it's time for me to pass the executive directorship bond to someone to take over the, the next phase, take my baby to college, I said to her, and I want to speak and write my book and, and you know, I'll figure out how to make money that way. So we, we did that. And so I speak about you know, how this story just evolved and how, you know, and why of pajama program. And so I love telling our story and and I love sharing the lessons. When I wrote the book, I knew there were lessons I learned, but I didn't realize how many leadership and life lessons I learned along the way and, and, and didn't know, I'm embarrassed to say, didn't know before. And I, you know, I call them heart of the matter lessons at in each chapter. And I'm hoping to help inspire other people and, and help everyone from individuals find purpose to leaders with um, purposeful leadership help. Okay. So you get to that point very often in this journey of purpose, there's the searching where you just start being open, you're reading, you're listening to different things, you're trying out new groups and new company that you keep. And eventually, if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, you have an experience like you had, which is absolutely soaring. And then this whole new landscape erupts all around you. And with what I've noticed with all the thought leaders um, like you that have a, a similar path, things seem to unfold in your favor. Did you run into, I, I know that you have stories like I do that are probably like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. It's a, it, the social entrepreneur's roller coaster ride is really something. Before we move on to purpose, because I'm pretty sure we're going to need a second whole interview just on that. Tell me how you get through some of the real downsides. Tell me some of your lessons. Give us some practical advice on how you overcome some of the hurdles. Sure, sure. Um, yes, there are. I mean, I don't want anyone to think, oh, you, when you find your purpose, it's magical and you win the lottery and there's never a worry. No, doing something new and you still have to figure it out. So one of the first ones was what I mentioned before, to find those cheerleaders because you're going to need them. The naysayers are all around. They're, they're going to question you. The people that you you are with every day aren't going, nobody's going to understand. The only ones who will are the people that you trust enough to have a heart to heart. And it's important to do it heart to heart, not just to you know be flippant and say, oh, I'm, I just want you to know I'm, I'm changing and don't be surprised, you know, because you're afraid. And I think we say that in a flippant way because we're afraid to hear what others are going to say because we don't have the answers. When, when that friend of mine started to say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You know how far you've come? You know how many people want to be in your shoes? Why don't you just do that on Saturdays? I mean, it was like she was shooting at me, boom, boom, boom. And it was so hard. And I didn't have the answers. And that's a killer because I just felt it. And to some people, you can say that. I feel it's the right thing to do. And they respect that. They get it. But to a lot of people, they don't get it. They haven't been there themselves. And it sounds as crazy as it just did when I said what I said to you. And I wasn't prepared. And then I got some cheerleaders I confided in my mom and, you know, this new man in my life. And I always go back to them, those North stars and of course your own North star. But so I always say, get those cheerleaders first and then you can take on the, the naysayers who are going to come your way. And second, it's about fear. Feel the fear and do it anyway. But sometimes you just have to do it afraid. And I think when you come to terms with that, it takes away some of that fear and loneliness okay, I'm afraid. It's okay. People do scary things all the time. I just will do it. And I will just accept that it's going to be a, a scary thing. 
and it makes it less scary. It's the strangest thing, but it, it works. And I mean, every, you know, they always say it's, it's darkest before the dawn. Every time I've been in a difficult situation, because I was on purpose, and I believe when you're on purpose, the universe does show up in mysterious ways. I mean, how many times I thought, what am I doing? Am I really changing anything? Am I really helping anyone? And then the phone rang one day and a man asked me a whole bunch of questions about why I was doing this. And did I think it was making a difference? And he frightened me. And he then said, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to come on so strong, but I was a little boy in an orphanage. And I want you to know you are making a big difference because that was our most lonely, frightening time. And we cried ourselves to sleep. And they're feeling, I'm telling you, these children feel that love. I mean, who could ask for a better comeback to my saying, what in the world am I doing? And, you know, I'm running the risk of losing my my mortgage and, you know, my, my parents and people thinking I'm such an idiot, but I need to know I'm doing the right thing and plop in my lap that, that man's phone call. And it happens. It happens when you're, when you're, on purpose, you know, it just does. Okay. And I think there's a little lesson there that I I can concur with you there. Does it happen? It's a chicken egg thing, maybe. Does it, would it have happened anyway, but you might not have been paying attention. But when you're on purpose, your brain is in this mode where it's seeking, it's heat seeking. It's seeking right. warmth that you get from, from helping improve somebody else's life. It, your, your brain becomes this heat seeking missile. So maybe those, those things would have happened anyway, but if you're not on purpose, if you're not in a purpose-driven lifestyle, you're not going to notice them. You know, I believe so strongly. And I think that when we do believe so strongly in an invisible force and in something we're doing to our core, we we believe that something's going to help us. We are looking everywhere. And when you're looking and you're believing, it happens both good and bad. When people expect something bad to happen, it happens. And when you get to that point in your core where you just know you can't explain it, you, you have nothing to say when someone challenges you, except I know this. I believe this. I know it sounds crazy. I don't have any proof. I know this. Then the universe conspires to help you. All right. This, this is huge. All right. So I want to go back to this. Sometimes you have to do it afraid. I heard that on a, on a movie. I said, wow, that let me off the hook. I said, that's, that's something that I feel is, is so freeing. I find myself a lot of times just saying, you know, you've done hard things before you can do this too. There's almost no one who hasn't, who can't tell a hard story. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it takes only that one person to be, yes, you can do that because there are so many naysayers. And let's, let's go back to that as well. Where do you think that, how do we, I, I like to, I, so I had a one pound baby 23 years ago. She's like a one in a million lived. First of all, that the chances of that were almost zero. And then she she has no no disabilities. That's a one in a million. But I remember when I was in those dark days thinking I I had to be careful who I listened to. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the people I thought I should. My dad was a doctor 40 years. He was the most amazing family doc. And when he showed up and he saw Louisa, he looked at me and he said, you know, hon, don't get your hopes up. One of the most compassionate, incredible, old timey made house calls doctors in the world. That's all my dad had to add. Don't get your hopes up. Well, we got to remember that I was his baby. He was trying to protect me. 
Right. He didn't know about that. He met well. He met well. But you see, I stopped looking for in that moment. I didn't get mad at him. In that moment, I knew that I couldn't turn to him, that he wasn't the voice I was going to listen to and so forth and so on with people around me. Some people came out of the (laughs) woodwork who had the best, most encouraging voices and people that I first thought would be encouraging would say the darndest things. So talk to me a little bit more. Let's talk to me about, you know, who we give our attention to. You know, sometimes you, you don't know. You didn't know, right? My dad also, I, I went to him before my mom and he was also skeptical. And, and you know, and I know he loved me. You know, he did and he wanted the best. I knew he was protecting me, but it, it hurt me that he didn't just say, great idea. But my mom, I only went to him first because he was, I was seeing him first, you know, and then they, were, they weren't together. So then I, I went to talk to my mom and she said what I needed to hear. She said, I don't know how you're going to do it, but it's beautiful and you're going to figure it out. And from that moment on, she, to this day, it was like she knew. Maybe the last breath she takes, she's going to say, Jen, I knew. I can't tell you how, but I knew because that's how she acts from that day one, that she knew this was going to be fine. She trusted me, but you don't know. And that's okay. You know, because people, like you said, care about you. Not everyone. People, you know, some people just don't, you know, don't get it. And they'll question you too. But I don't know how to choose the right people because I, like you, didn't choose all the right people. The first woman I told you was my my friend. And she, she, you know, she blew me out of the water with all her, her challenges. But you do find them. You do. And it's important to get it, you know, get to the point where you do have, you know, you don't need 100. You need two or three people that can help pick you up when those naysayers come. That's all you need. That's all you need. That's all you need. I I love this. And also I don't I don't want to imply in our conversation because we're going to spend the last four or five minutes about finding a purpose driven life, which is what you and I are going to talk about in interview number two. But <laughs> I do want to say too that I think that there's this moment where you've got to sort of shut down that that judgmental part of your brain that's gonna not suddenly not like your dad because he didn't say what you want right. to hear. You're right. Not like your best friend because they grilled you. Because we got to remember that those people that we that are closest to us in our lives, they care deeply about us. They didn't want to see you stop being able to pay your mortgage. They didn't want you to see, you know, so they their reasoning for saying whatever they said that struck us the wrong way is probably lovely and genuine. And they just maybe or they're just more content. So that's the, that's the way I decided to position it. I say my husband, he is just the most coolest guy, but he and he has a lovely big heart, but he's very content. He looks at what I'm doing and says, oh, wow, Nellie, this is, wow. <laughs> he doesn't, wow. but he doesn't dive in. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't dive in. He's very supportive and all that. But you know what? There's people in their, in their lives that are so content. They're not hearing that nagging voice. And so we just have to decide that we're okay with them being content. And they're, they're not the voice that's going to be a good fit for us realizing what we're uniquely built to contribute for now. Right. I agree. Okay. So let's, let's just give an introduction to chapter three in the next five minutes. And then I know you've got to go. And then we will fill people full of your insights about how we cultivate a life of, of meaning and purpose and the, in part two, does that sound okay? That sounds great. Sure. Okay. So why don't with our closing five minutes here, give us an overview of the things that, that you love to talk about and that you might share with us next time. And, and maybe a few practical tips to get people started. Sure. Sure. Yes. I decided that there were so many people asking for me to mentor and coach because they were ready to listen to their hard voice and all those things on the back burner. 
they thought, you know, I, I think I'd be happier and I don't want to worry about what I've done and who might not agree. I want to explore this now because I think there's something here. So I realized that I could share my story and my doubts and my hard times and my achievements and the mystery of finding and listening to your heart voice. And what happens, you know, you can call it miracles. You can call it the universe as your silent partner. I call it all that in my book, but it's real. So I started to talk to people and wanted to then share broader than I could see people in a book. So I wrote the book and it's funny that, you know, the miracles of the universe again, the publisher said it's coming out in the pandemic. And I first said, well, I don't know what that means. But in the next breath, I said, there's got to be a reason. I have to believe. And boy, we've switched from the P word being pivot to the P word being purpose in these conversations now. And it's a blessing for me to feel people more and more want to hear our stories about how we changed midstream. It's never too late. And not just individuals finding purpose, because that's first and foremost. But secondly, leaders in in companies, you know, the great resignation, as you said, people are not staying just to stay. They're not staying just for a paycheck. So these leaders and and CEOs and people started something and need teams to, to be there with them need to communicate the purpose and how it touches those you're serving in the company. And they need to communicate it in a way that all of their teams feel connected to it because that's what we want, right? We want to belong to each other. We want to belong to a higher purpose, to community. We want our work, our lives to mean something. It's not enough to separate eight hours of work and then you leave it and then you have what, four hours of life until you go to sleep and do it again. We want it integrated and it's taken long for us to get here. Okay, so I think this is a very key point to talk about the fact that we're not, and you and I uh, certainly would never (laughs) in a million years advocate, people just drop everything and go follow their purpose. I mean, that you don't have to go drop your job and and join an ashram. You don't, and start a 501c3. (laughs) Because for instance, um, my producer, Brittany, who's on this call and gonna create something wonderful out of our conversation. I believe she is working in her zone of genius right now. Right now in her life, she's young and and talented and creative and she knows how to rein me in. For right now, it's okay to be content. If you found some place where you can contribute your gifts and everybody appreciates it, I mean, you don't have to start ever widening circles or the pajama program. You can contribute in place. Right. As long as your employer is, is embracing your gifts and giving yeah. you what you need to feel like you're thriving, I don't. I think that's part of a purpose-driven lifestyle too. To just recognize the chapter you're in and mm-hmm. and find what you're uniquely built to contribute there. Absolutely, absolutely. There are so many people that, like you said, want to be there. They just want to feel like they belong. They just want to be part of the big picture. And I think we're realizing that. And I think leaders are realizing that. And it just takes communication and it takes, you know, effort and time. It's wonderful to embrace 
this change and this openness. And just consider it a journey. Uh, my husband, we spoke about Dr. Chuck, he, he's he's definitely living in his zone of genius and, and he helps countless people every day. Dozens and dozens of people get through very difficult, hard, talking about hard moments at the dentist. He's so lovely and just big and trustworthy and all that. Okay, so let's wrap up our conversation today and introduce some concepts that we might talk about next time so people know that they're more to the story. Talk to me about what you want to talk about next time. Sure. Sure. Well, I help people figure out how to listen to their heart voice, how to find their purpose. I go through a four point voice, four steps that you can do in one day, one evening. We can talk about that and how sharing stories has an effect on each other, on our on our stories, on our hearts, on our souls, whether we're aware or not, and, and how to turn a scary place into a place of light, which just, you know, it isn't always easy, but it, it can be done with practice. So lots of lots of ways that you can not feel alone and get people to rally for you. And of course, that's what we're doing with the Goodness Exchange Genevieve is that we have created a community there where people who want to want to see a better world can it be introduced to those that are making it that way. And that means each other, not just the thought leaders like Damien exactly. Mander, who made these huge strides in some of our world's most vexing problems. But we want to create a place where people can find each other and be amplify the goodness that's in each other. And that's what I hear you leading us. Um, there's just so much more to talk about in volunteerism. And you don't have to go and start a 501c3. Most of us have something that we can start contributing tomorrow and feel the same moments that you felt in that in that first few moments with these children that were in such bad shape, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's lots of ways to slide your purpose into your life right now. Don't have to okay. make a major leap. That is where we want to finish off. Next time, we're going to talk about how you slide your life <laughs> into this direction. Thank you so, so much. I I just can't thank you enough. My, my, I, I, my face hurts from smiling so much. <laughs> That's a good thing. Mine too. Thank you. Thank you, Angelica. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to let you go and then we'll wrap up the show because I know you've got another appointment, but I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you sharing these thoughts with us. And we're going to continue and help people open up their own chapter too. Okay. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you, Dr. Linda. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was an amazing conversation with Genevieve Futuro. Please look in the show notes for all the things that we mentioned. Her book sounds extraordinary because it sounds like it. I have not read it, but it sounds like she tells the innovator's journey. And, and by innovator, I mean each of us. Each of us is able to bring our own unique alchemy to something in this world that needs attention. And I think she'll give us some strength. I can't wait to get the book. So thank you for joining us. For more information about her work and any of the things that we mentioned, look in the show notes. Remember to check out The Goodness Exchange. This is an effort to create a landscape where people can come together who want a better future for themselves, who want to connect with others who are like-minded. It's going to be a wonderful way to amplify the good and the progress in the world. And please dive into the articles there about people like Genevieve who are tackling some of the world's most vexing problems. This is going to make you feel really good about your fellow man. I hope all these connections to goodness and progress carry you through your week and you start finding the joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Have a great day.